0: Good morning. Wow, am I loud or what? What I want to know is what is shawarma? It's a euro. It's not a month ago or a week ago. It's a euro. Okay. Um, was that cheesy or what? On the front of the stage here, we've been putting these out three weeks now. There's a ten-point prayer guide to be praying for this decision coming up with the Supreme Court. I've heard, does anyone, do you guys know, would you know, is that tomorrow? They're talking about it coming out. By the way, this is our little, uh, not ours, but they came here. Uh, we, my wife and I were with them at the UW campus. You've gone to some other places. Uh, this, these are tiny heartbeats. Andrew and Lucas, uh, Bridget is there, uh, Maggie from our church. yes. I would like you to also include them in your prayers because they are going out to the campuses or to um, clinics and just be there to talk to people about what is going on and then hopefully be able to get some dialogue going concerning the gospel. So pray for these guys. Pray for the ministry, Tiny Heartbeats. They join us again this morning. And then this prayer, if you would take that and please be praying for this ch- a change. Um, and what's going on in our nation as far as what is called constitutional legality. Would you stand? Let's uh, read Hebrews. We we like to stand in honoring God's word. I'm going to start in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10. I'm using the New King James Version. If you have a different one, you can still follow along with your Bible or your device. And by the way, with these studies on Sundays, I have the text that we're in, you have the text. I'm hoping that you'll bring your Bibles, you'll bring your devices, and follow along in that for you. Any other verses I'll be putting up on the, on the screen, I put a lot of verses, a lot of Bible scripture into, a, into my studies. You're not going to be able to keep up with me, I can guarantee you that. So just email me, I'm happy to send you my notes, and you can have the whole thing, okay? Here we go, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting for him, that is Jesus, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly I will sing praise to you, and again I will put my trust in him, and again here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him. Who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and released those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So responsive reading, part of Psalm 116, these three psalms, well, I'm going to mention them in the study this morning, but this is the first eight verses of one of these Hallel Psalms. So I'll read the first and odd verse if you can read the second and even verses together. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. pains of death surrounded me, and the pains of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Oh Lord, we are thankful for your word this morning. You said that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We're attentive, Lord. Our ears are open. I ask that you give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, that you take the things that I prepare to break them, break them fresh. We are hungry, Lord, for you. Strengthen us in our most holy faith this morning. Speak to us in our hearts. Divide between the thoughts and intents. And Lord, we are looking for you to convict, ex- exhort us, whatever is needed right now for each of us individually, and then also for the church. In these days in which we live, please bless this time now in Jesus' name, everyone said amen. You can be seated. So we see Jesus, this is part two, last week, in verse, two, verse chapter two, verse five, it says, for he has not put the world to come, of which we speak in subjection to angels. For one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you visit him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put on him, but here it is. But we do not yet see... All things put under him, that is mankind, God's original intent. So we do not yet see what God intended for man when he created him. We do not yet see him crowned with glory and honor. But who do we see? We see Jesus, who has made a little low of the angels for the sufferings of death. So this morning, three things I want to include just with crucified, crowned, and captain are these three things this morning. Jesus is not ashamed of us. Say amen. Jesus is not ashamed of us. Jesus became one of us to die for us. Jesus became one of us to help us. How many of you need help this morning? If you don't have your hand up, you need to put it up. <laughs> we need help. Jesus came became one of us to die for us. That was the essential necessity for the beginning of any help is Jesus dying for us, and then he came to help us. And so in Hebrews, as we're continuing through, these things begin to build on this foundation of who Jesus is. He is He is crucified, crowned, and captive. Captain, He is not ashamed of us. He became one of us to die for us. He became one of one of us to help us. So it says in verse ten: For it is fitting for Him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings plural it was fitting meaning it was right it was appropriate it was befitting the character of god he could do no other for him for whom are all things by whom are all things it was necessary according to his own character that he might make the captain of our salvation perfect through sufferings that's just what god does so it was necessary to judge sin. It was necessary for the son to bear our sins. It was necessary to lay this path of obedience through sufferings in order to make the way for us to lead us, be led by our captain to salvation. His death, even the death of the cross, to bear our sin was, why, was just who God is. And so his sufferings were on purpose, God's purpose. His sufferings made possible our salvation and glory. His sufferings made perfect our salvation and glory. Jesus was perfected, not in the sense of his moral character. The divine person needs none of that. But he was perfected in the sense of his saving purposes, in other words, it was to this realization of that end, what? Salvation and bringing many sons to glory. That's what God does. That's what God perfected. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, For there is one God, and one mediated between God and men, the man, capital N, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. I will tell you that testimony is always in due time. And so Jesus, the man, was equipped to accomplish his work by overcoming all earthly limitations in order to finish his work as the one and only Savior, the one and only mediator. There is no other, nor will there ever be. There's only one. And so through sufferings, the man, capital N, Christ Jesus, will was proved perfect his character was proved perfect his dependence on god was proved perfect his obedience to god was proved perfect his captaining our salvation proves perfect jesus i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me that's pretty exclusive that's our captain Jesus said, I am the living bread which comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The cross. The perfect Savior. Jesus said, John 10, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to what? Steal. Steal and to kill, and to destroy, that's the devil, I have come, may I personalize this, I have come, Jesus speaking to us, that you may have life, and may have it more abundantly, have you found that, you will never find that outside of following the captain of our salvation, a little while, he said, I'm in John 14, 19, a little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, here it is, because I live, you shall live also. The resurrection. Acts 4.12, nor is there salvation any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we, what? Must be saved. I say, praise the Lord. He is not ashamed of you. He is not ashamed of us. He loves us, and thus the character of God necessitated him doing what he did for us. The captain of of their salvation, that word translated captain means pioneer. It means leader. It means originator or founder. So Jesus is the pioneer, the originator, the founder of our salvation. Yeah, it has the idea of personal participation in originating something. Personal participation in originating. In other words, he is, that, he is the man who did these things. So, verse 11, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are, are, are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Call them Family. He who sanctifies means set apart as holy. That's Jesus. Those who are being sanctified, that means being made holy, the process of being made holy, sanctification, that would be me and you as believers. So Jesus' prayer before going to the cross, right before, John 17, they are not of the world. He's talking about his disciples, just as I am not of the world sanctify them by your truth your word is truth as you sent me into the world i also have sent them into the world and for their sakes i sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth in other words jesus set himself apart to the cross to death that his disciples might share in his life that's incredible He set himself apart for the cross in order that his disciples might share in his risen life. Come back to the prayer in a moment. But in John chapter 12, Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Verse 27, now my soul is troubled. He's going to the cross. He understands the death. It's necessitated. There's going to be others joining in to this life. It says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name, perfected through suffering. So in chapter, John 17, he continues his prayer to include us. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's going to the cross, praying. That they all may be one, that we are all of one, Hebrews. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I've given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they also may behold my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. You read that, chapter, that prayer in chapter 17 and the way he us that is what, that they may see my glory. What's the glory? The love of the Trinity. They may see that we see Jesus, he's praying that we may be one and together experience this life of given to us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And so he says, in relation to God, it was fitting. It was right. It was according to God's character and his purposes. In relation to God also, we are all of one. In other words, We have been gifted the right to be called children of God. As it says in John chapter 1, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called, to become children of God. I'm not ashamed to call my brethren, all of one, to those who believe his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The, the, be born again, as, John, as Jesus talked about in John 3. We are all of one. That is, we're of God. We're in God's family. All the Old Testament references in this chapter in Hebrews that we're reading place the speaker, that is Jesus, in the same group of God's children. This is God incarnate. This is God become man. This is God crucified. This is God risen. Now, obviously, there's a huge difference between Jesus' sonship and our sonship. Jesus, his is original. Ours is derived. But both are of God. Both have their origin in God. And so in 1 John chapter 3, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. You go, wow, that's incredible. Not by just some idea. This is reality for the believer. That we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. How is he? In glory. How are we? We will be in glory. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. When he is revealed, we will see him in glory, ourselves in glory with him. The same glory he secured for us who believe in him. The same glory promised to those who are the children of God, given that right through faith in Jesus Christ. And this hope in him is what motivates us to purity. It's what motivates us to live our lives to please the Father. It's sharing in his risen life, the life of the Spirit, so we read in Romans chapter 8, For whom he foreknow, foreknew, he also predestined for what? Here's the will of God for your life. To be conformed in the image of his son, notice, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He led the way. He's the captain, the firstborn in that sense. What's God's will for you? To be conformed to the image, to be more like Jesus. How many of you want to be more like Jesus? That's because you're born again of the Spirit of God. It's there. It's motivating to us to live differently. It says then, it says, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. God sees it already done. Interesting. We, who he sanctifies knows who are being sanctified. Sanctification is there because what's Paul driving at? He's driving at the end result of what God has done is glorified. We will be, we will be in glory. We will be glorified. Can you dig it? <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 3. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Here it is again are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, there's a work going on in the life of the believer to bring us to glory. It's called sanctification, being made holy. Jesus not ashamed of us. Now verse 12, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. This is quoting from Psalm 22 and verse 22. Now, as you look at Psalm 22, it has two parts. The first part is, is messi- it's a messianic psalm graphically detailing the sufferings on the cross. It's an amazing psalm. It begins with this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why? why? To point people to Psalm 22. And then you read it. You know, the unbelieving Jew would like to remove that right from the Scriptures because it's prophetically profound in its details of the suffering servant that Isaiah 53 also talks about. He says, don't be far from me, for trouble is near. There is none to help. I'm poured out like water. My bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaw. It's detail of a crucifixion. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They look at me. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them for my clothing. They cast lots. It happened in time, in history, literally, what was prophesied before. First part. But you, O oh Lord, he says again as he starts, why are you so far from helping me? Verse 1, then verse, the last couple of verses. Be, but you, O oh Lord, do not be far from me. O oh, my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. Here is the very end of the first section. You have answered me. You've answered me. You will not allow, leave my soul in hell. You're going to deliver me. That's another song that we looked at last week. You've answered me. Now the second part, which is Jesus' risen glory and honor. I will declare your name to my brethren. Wow. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. Verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. And thus you read the second part of Psalm 22 and you realize this is incredible, not only detailing the crucifixion, but detailing the resurrection and what Jesus, I will sing. I'm not ashamed. I'll declare it to my brethren. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. Now here's something that strikes me. On Passover night just before Jesus is going to be arrested. We read in Matthew 26, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. He's told them this several times. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So this hymn was probably most likely because it was these Hallel Psalms 116 through 118, one of those. I'll leave it as a reading assignment for you. But you read those psalms, it's just, you start realizing the context of they sang a hymn. We, we just did the response for you. I will... I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplication. He's inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me. The pangs of shield laid hold. I found trouble and sorrow and just begins. They're singing one of these psalms. Psalm 117 is little, two two verses. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Lord, Him, all you people. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Verse one, uh, Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks, Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say, his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say the mercies, his mercies endure forever. Now say, it. why? If you context it, if this is what's happening, and he's singing this hymn, let them now say he's going to the cross and he's going to be the propitiation. That is simply this: it's the love of God, satisfying the wrath of God, and releasing what? The mercy of God. And through the cross, through the hymn, if you will, let them now say. His mercies endure forever. Let us now say his mercy endures forever. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Jesus took it all. Get this. (laughs) Psalm 118, at the end. God is the Lord and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, I will praise you. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. There it is, for his mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord is right. Verse 13, and again, Hebrews, I will put my trust in him, and again, here am I and the children God has given me. Now, this is quoted from Isaiah chapter 8. It says there, verse 17, and I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him, or I will put my trust in him. Here am I and the children whom God has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. That's where this is quoted from. This is referring to Isaiah and his two sons. At this time, things were very difficult in Israel. The nation had stumbled. God was hidden from their face. God hid his face from them. And many of them in Israel were no longer following the Lord. Isaiah, his name means Jehovah, Yahweh is salvation. Put his trust in God, knowing that he and his two sons, I can't even pronounce their names, they're long, were for signs and symbols. By their names, the signs and symbols were these, their enemies would be defeated. And not only that, <laughs> a believing remnant would return from captivity. You see, he's speaking in, in Hebrews. He's saying those to salvation, returning from captivity, enemies defeated, is what Jesus is doing leading many sons to glory. He's saying these are picturesque of those many sons and bringing to glory. Now, this older one, I'll put my trust in him. It calls us back to Psalm 22. It calls us back to witness the cross. I will put my trust in him. In Psalm 22, it says, all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusts in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you are are he who took me from out of the womb. Prophetic Jesus on the cross. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. It, I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me. The whole thing. he's say, I will put my trust in him." And I think of Matthew chapter 27. And those who pass by blaspheme, wagging their heads and saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you are the son of God. Come down from the cross. Mocking him. Likewise, the chief priest also, mocking with the scribes, said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and when we believe him, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. I will put my trust in him. Perfectly. Jesus became one of us to die for us. In verse 14 and 15, Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. Who's that? The devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. In other words, Jesus annulled the power of Satan from holding them in bondage to the fear of death. Self-preservation is the most powerful human survival instinct. And Satan used the fear of death with cunning craftiness. He used it against anyone who would be considering Jesus. Life. How does he do that? Here's one you might not have thought of, but the fear of man. Blinding eyes, confusing the mind, entangling the emotions, isolation, separation—all means of the devil to keep us in darkness and death, and not be able to see the glory of God in face of Jesus Christ. When Saul of Tar- Satan has been disarmed through the death of Jesus. He accomplished at the cross. Stay with me. While Saul of Tarsus encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, he hated Christians. He hated Jesus. He was on a path of destruction to anyone who thought otherwise. Now as he's on his high horse, guess who shows up? Jesus. He knocks him off his high horse, turns him upside down, inside out, and right side up, and saves his soul right there on that road to Damascus. So Saul says, "Who are you, Lord?" Acts chapter twenty-six. He said, "I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose: notice to make a minister, and he, to make you a minister." And a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. All about himself, Jesus. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Here it is. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. And here it is. And from the power of Satan to God. How? That they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified. There it is again by faith in me. Paul, this is what you're going to do now. Saul of Tarsus, now Paul the apostle. This, you're going to be telling people, the, you're going to be preaching a gospel through which people's eyes will be opened and their lives freed from the bondage and the fear of death. And so I think Paul might have been thinking about that road to Damascus, which I'm sure he did many times when he wrote Colossians. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood. There it is again, the forgiveness of sins, the cross. Colossians again, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him. Here it is again, forgiving. All You all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. We couldn't do anything about it. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them in it. In what? The cross. Jesus rendered this fear of death powerless, but not by his life not by his example not by his teachings not by his miracle but as the word says through death Jesus bore away he paid the penalty and rescued us from the power of darkness the power of satan and the fear of death have you been rescued today Now, it may not appear that Satan has been disarmed, but listen, he has. How do I know that? Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection was fail-proof proof. Jesus conquered death. Now, this has happened. It's real. It's true. This Satan is in his power, and that fear of death has been taken care of completely. But that means nothing if we reject the only one who defeated sin, death, and hell. The only one who can deliver us from death itself that is Jesus. So, though it's true, and though it's been proved, The fearful thing is this. and Listen carefully, please, if you don't, have not yet come to a place of surrendering your life to God through Jesus Christ. The fearful thing is this. God will allow you to reject his provision for your sin. He will allow you to reject Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord in your life. You see, he gave each of us this capacity to choose. And when we make a choice, he must honor that choice. That's the fearful thing. Because you must choose life. You're already condemned in your sin. That's already, that's your condition. Jesus came not to condemn, but to save, not to, to sort of do this on, you know, squat. No, he came to lift us out of the grave, a new birth and new life. But you must choose. Have you chosen? You see, the fear of death is to be feared if you do not flee to Jesus as your refuge. The fear of death is to be feared if you will not repent of your sin, confess Jesus, and be saved. The fear of death is to be feared if you will not do these things. According to Romans chapter 10, the word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. You must believe these things in your heart. And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that God raised the dead, what does it say? Uh, God might save you. <laughs> you, what? Will be saved. How many of you have put your faith in Christ and found that to be true? Anyone who comes to Christ, I will in no wise cast out. No one can snatch us out of his hand. And you start thinking this assurance how do we know? Because Jesus died and he rose again. He gave us this choice of life, but we must choose, and you must choose. Jesus warned the people. Luke chapter 12, I say to you, my friend, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him, capital H, whom after he has killed has power to cast you into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Fear God. You will stand before God for your life and only your life, but for your life. What have you done with Jesus? See, when I stand before God, I'm not going to oh, God, you don't see what I say. I'm going to say, Jesus, would you please? And Jesus is going to say to the Father, he's mine. He's mine. And I keep him pretty busy. In all my sin, and all the stuff I do, to stand and say, he's mine. He's mine, Father. Forgive me, he's mine. Forgive me. See, he is the one. God is the one who must give account. He said, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins and not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs of your head, now some of you made this a lot easier on God, are all numbered. He says, do not fear, therefore, you have more value than many sparrows. Last week we talked about, You are significant. You are valued. How do I know that? Because I know the captain of my salvation. I know the one who demonstrated his love in that while I was a sinner, he died for me. While I was running from God, he chased me and and chased me down. And when I was a prodigal, he waited to wait and waited until I came back down the road. And he ran to meet me, threw the robe on me, said, this my son was lost, he's found, he was dead, he's alive. And I and embraced, it's almost like, you know, when you, you're getting embraced, you're ashamed, and somebody comes and embraces you, kind of go, <laughs> and yet, oh, to be embraced to the love of God for who he is and what he's done. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, the fear of man brings a snare but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. The safety. Now it goes on, Luke 12. Also I say, do you ever confess me four men him, the Son of Man, will also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. I've included this this morning. But I think it's very important. This is often used and not understood for what it is. To blaspheme the Holy Spirit is simply this, to reject the witness of the Holy Spirit concerning sin, Jesus, and judgment. Reject Jesus said in John chapter 16, He, when he has come, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin what? Because they do not believe in me. That's the question. Have you chosen? Have you believed? That's the sin. Of righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no more. The only righteous God will accept is the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then he says this of judgment because the rule of this world, is judged. Satan has been taken out. Death has been removed through the conquering work of Jesus Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection for us. Satan has been rendered powerless. To receive the witness of the Holy Spirit is to be saved from death and share in the risen life of the captain of our salvation. And so Romans puts it this way. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of, of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's what we've received. We've been in, now we're in the family, the Father. Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness our Spirit that we are children of God, and if children, and heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we also be glorified together. What shall, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's all Chapter Eight of Romans. Shall tribulation or persecution or, or shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness or peril sword? As it is written, "We are killed all day long. We are counted the sheep for the Death has come and will come, there's suffering. All, the, yes, that's happening, but <laughs> I love this verse: "In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuading neither life nor death nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing should be able to separate us from what? The love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are all of one. And he became one of us to die for us. He does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. He did not come to save fallen angels. That's what he's been talking about. Their doom is sealed and sure. Jesus came to save people. That give aid in this verse, in verse 18 it means to help, but in this verse, a different meaning in the Greek altogether. It means to take hold of or to grasp. It means to be becoming. So Jesus' quote from Expositor's Bible Commentary, Jesus did not descend to the level of angels and became one of them, He descended to the level of mankind and became a Jew. Jesus Jesus was born Jewish because salvation is of the Jews. The Jews were God's chosen people. They were and still are hated from the realm of the abyss, the realm of Satan, the demonic realm, because Satan hates God and hates his people. Satan is opposed to God all the way on. Satan hates what God's doing in loving and caring and dying for us. He hates it. And know this this hostility, this cunning power, this evil intent towards God and his people is also targeting toward you as a believer. He's the ruler of demons, the evil one, the enemy, the father of lies. There's no truth in him. He's the adversary, the dragon, the deceiver, the whole world, and that's just for starters. So make no mistake about it. We are in a spiritual battle, and that battle is in the area of temptation. Jesus said, "I'm the door. If you enter in me, but the thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy." And so, as it says there, therefore, in all things he had to be like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God God's to propitiation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered how? Being tempted. He is able to aid, that it means to help those who are tempted. Satan is called the tempter. Satan, this malevolent being, is seeking to derail your obedience to God, derail your trust in God, derail your obedience to God in many ways. At birth, the devil sought to kill Jesus as a little bee through Herod. When he began his public ministry, what happened? The devil shows up right there. He's ready to tempt Jesus. And he was 40 days and hungry. The devil comes to him and three times begins, begins to tempt with three different temptations. And those temptations were to act independently of the Father. That's sin. Temptation were to sin. And so how did Jesus answer the temptations of the devil? You know it well. Well, you know what I think. Well, this is how I'm kind of feeling. Uh, No. He said, it is written. It is written. It is written. And then we read this. When he, when the, in Luke chapter 4, 13, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Know this, the devil took every opportune time after that, It's through Jesus' ministry on earth, then to the cross, he took everything to seek to derail Jesus' obedience and faithfulness to the Father. It's no different, or well, it is different in this way. I don't think I've ever battled the devil directly, but know this, all through his earthly life, that's what Jesus did. And in doing that, we cannot begin to understand his sufferings in being tempted. We understand them somewhat. We can't begin to understand the depths of this perfecting love and salvation. Yet we understand that somewhat. But we can thank God, and we'll be getting this in Hebrews, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet, here's the difference, without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time. That's what we're going to do this morning in taking communion. We're going to come bold to the throne of grace because we need help. We need this work of the Savior in heaven for us now. We're going to be learning about this in Hebrews. We're, we do well. We understand what he did on the cross. We get that. That's, we are saved. But we are being saved. We are being sanctified. And that process is Fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is our great high priest in heaven, making intercession for us, saying, he's mine. So as we take communion, Jesus said, often as you take the bread and drink the cup, Paul wrote this, we do show or proclaim what? The Lord's death until he comes. So we're in the middle. Oh, how I long for glory. I couldn't do anything about being born. That was not my decision. But here we are. So when we take, hold the bread and the cup as we hold those, we're looking back, proclaim his death. We understand what Jesus accomplished. We understand what he got. He, he released us from the, this thing called death in the glorious liberty of the children of God. That's ours, secured. We're looking forward to that glorious time when this corruption must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. where that, the, 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 It said, "Where, oh, death, where is your sting? It's swallowed up in victory through Christ. But here we are. So I'm going to encourage you as well as for me, myself. This is a time for you personally, with that cup in hand, that it's a two thing, I'll say this just practically. You've got to open the first one, it's cellophane clear, take out the cup, the the wafer, hold that and then undo the other one which is foil, otherwise as I've done you'll have it all over your lap (laughs) but as you hold those this is a sacred time and it's for the body of Christ if you have not yet received Christ as your Savior then please let the emblem pass because what we're doing is we're acknowledging declaring that that death was necessary for my salvation. And draw close to the Lord and receive from him afresh this morning whatever it is that you're longing for and needing, trusting him, singing to him in your heart that he is the one and the only one that God has provided to take care of us from birth to death. So shall it be. Let's do that.